This is Fostering Conversations with Utah Foster Care, where we have insightful conversations about parenting for bio, foster, adoptive, or blended families to better understand the experiences we all face as families. Hi, everybody. I'm Deborah Lindner, and thanks so much for joining us today. I'm going to start today's discussion with a statistic that's always been unsettling for me, and that is the number of young people who age out of foster care. In Utah, between 100 and 120 of them age out each year without a permanent family, and that can mean no one to turn to for support. They're at a much higher risk of being homeless, unemployed, and a host of other life challenges and negative outcomes. We will be talking today with a young woman who did age out and hear how she's created a successful life for herself. We'll also hear from two people who help with the program that tries to make sure these youth don't fall through the cracks and are truly prepared to go into adulthood. Liz Rivera, my co-host, she's Director of Education for Utah Foster Care. Liz, now we have a term for it. It's called adulting. And I think people understand more than ever that you need a family to help you through that. It's National Adoption Month, and that brings to mind my first question. Why are these teenagers often the last to be adopted? I think there's a lot of fear around taking a teen in your home. I've heard people say they already have their personality set, and there's really not a lot we can do to make a difference for them and won't want or need a family the same way that a young child would. And those are all myths that we try to correct as we recruit and as we train around foster care. I also think there's still a thought that when you reach the age of 18, you can vote, you can get drafted. So you're an adult. You've got it all figured out, but that's just not true. Absolutely. I'm well past 18. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I desperately need my family. Family is still one of my biggest supports, cheerleaders, just people I turn to in times of crisis as well as in times of joy. We all need family all of our life. So true. Let's go ahead and start our conversation today. Liz, go ahead and introduce the two people who are trying to help out with this. Wonderful. So from Division of Child and Family Services, we have Aubrey Myers, and he oversees the entire state's program around transition to adult living, often also called TAL or TAL. And from the same program, we also have Natalie Clark, and she represents lived experience. And it's vital that child welfare agencies listen better. And we are grateful for Natalie, as well as DCFS's privileging of those lived experiences. Now, TAL groups are in every region of Utah, and they reach out to youth who are approaching aging out, and oftentimes many years before that, just to help prepare, because we all know it takes a lot of preparation to move into adulthood. And they help connect them with academic mentors, financial planning, career prep, and some financial assistance as well. It's a great program. And we have another person with true lived experience. Her name is Caitlin Stark. Caitlin is a student at Southern Utah University. She's pursuing a degree in nursing. Caitlin is also a Foster Club All-Star, and she shares her lived experience with youth in foster care in our state. Caitlin, you were placed for the first time in foster care at age 16. Why don't you pick it up from there? I was placed into the foster care system when I was 16. And it was really hard to find where I was going in life and where I wanted to be. 
because all of a sudden I have a table full of different people, caseworkers, guardian at Lightum. And yeah, it was really hard because I don't know these people. But I think it was really awesome because I finally had people in my corner, someone I can go to when I have a question about my health care or a question on how to apply for college. And I might point out there's one myth about teens in foster care, and that is that they're all juvenile delinquents. They're in foster care because of something they've done. Tell us why you were placed in foster care. Definitely. I think labels is a very big thing foster youth have to deal with. For example, I was placed into foster care because my mom had issues with substance abuse and wasn't able to fully provide for me and my younger sisters. So I was a second parent, basically. I was missing school to go work and get money to provide for my sisters. And that's basically why I was removed from that home, because they saw it as neglectful, which it was. I wasn't able to be a kid. I wasn't able to go to school. I was taking care of my younger sisters, which no 16-year-old are prepared to take on that responsibility. And Natalie, I see you nodding your head. Do you have a lot of young people that you talk to in foster care with similar stories? A large majority of us have either parented our own parents or have had to parent our siblings. That's just a common reality. The scariest part is when we come into foster care and we no longer have our siblings, right? Because these young people have taken over the role of being the parent and the protector. And so that role doesn't just stop when young people go into foster care. Same with parents. We still worry about our siblings and our parents the whole time we're in foster care too. So it just adds a whole another layer onto that foster care experience for a lot of our young people. Years ago, we used to train the variables that go into resilience. And one of them was a caretaking personality. And thinking about these teens you're talking about, even though we don't want you to be in that role, the fact that you have taken that on because you've been in that role, that actually gives you some real strengths as long as you have good boundaries, to move forward into your life. And Caitlin, you're becoming a nurse. So you still are looking at taking care of people in a really important way. 100%. I think that is one of the main reasons why I want to go into a healthcare profession, because I love taking care of people. I enjoy it. It makes me feel good. I love being able to assist those that need help. So, Aubrey, tell me how you start the process of getting these teenagers involved in transition to adult living. Really, any youth in care 14 years and older is eligible for child-based services. We definitely want to look at the ability of the child to do certain things, where their maturity levels are, their developmental levels are, and what are some of the eligibility requirements for some of the programs we use. But every child who hits the age of 14 and in our care start a transition to adult living plan We used to use the KC Life Skills Assessment to assess where a youth is at and what some needs are. We have now switched as of this year to the TALU facet to do that same thing. It still measures the same areas. We're still looking at strengths or deficits in certain areas, as well as other maybe more formal assessments that exist to say, is a youth ready to participate in higher educational services? Are they ready to participate in our milestones programs? One of the things we don't do the best at is assessing the developmental age of a child who maybe has a history of trauma. And so we really like to see that these youth are assessed well and then start where they can start. One of the things we struggle with is youth who have higher needs. 
is talent is held back from them because they may have a need that town may be too much for. We would rather hear it be said that they can't do this part of town, but we could definitely do other town-based services for that youth so that they can begin to mature and build some of that resilience they need to move on. But yeah, all of our youth are 14 and older are eligible. Sometimes it's great if they get involved in our youth advisory councils, whether it's local or state, so that they can meet with their peers and see what's going on in their world. Because sometimes that's a big difference for some of our youth is to meet other youth like them who may be heading towards independence. That doesn't account for a more legalized kind of permanency, adoption of guardianship or something like that. We want all of our youth there, but we want them in the capacity that they can manage at that time in their lives. So if a youth like begins the TAL program, maybe at 14, and say that they do get some kind of permanency, whether that's adoption, guardianship, maybe even reunification, can they continue with the TAL program? Or is it only for kids who are technically still in the custody of the state? No, there's several different factors there. Youth who achieve permanency through adoption and guardianship at 16 or older have a different level of access. They can continue to participate in our programs and aftercare services apply to them because they were adopted after the age of 16. A youth who was reunified, we're not going to say you can't come. We definitely would allow them to come in and sit down and participate in our youth councils and some of the programming. They wouldn't have access to our incentives and the Chafee-based funding or the ETB-based funding because those programs were based on kids who never get to reunify or have that long-term support from a family. They would lose that piece, but we would never say to youth, no, you can't show up, sorry. We invite all youth who have touched our system. We would really love it to be that we change what that looks like for our youth, that if you were in foster care, you should have access to these services and the programming. We would love to see it extended to all youth who are in care who met the towel age, 14 and older. And we'd also like to figure out how to go past the age of 22. Caitlin, when you got involved with the TAL program, tell me what you got out of it. Were you a little reluctant at first? And how did that change? So when I first got involved with the TAL program, what really caught my eye was being paid to go to a meeting. At that age, I would do anything for money. But I actually made a good connection with our TAL coordinator at the time, and she made the living experience classes and like the life skills almost like really normal. And she treated us with so much respect and she cared for each one of the youth that were attending these meetings that it just became a comfortable and safe space for me. So I decided to keep going and that's how I got into actually doing youth panels and youth speaking and advocacy because I got so used to sharing my story and having that support system with the TAL coordinators. It sounds like you really found your voice. Is that one way of putting it? Definitely. I found my voice at such a young age, but I am so thankful how it happened because we foster youth, we get silenced sometimes and we forget that this is our case. This is my life. This is my story. And I just want to support those other youth that feel like they don't have a voice because you do. What keeps adults from hearing, from listening? What, why do we think we know it all when we don't know it all? 
I think that comes back to the labels. You always hear the bad stories. You never hear the good ones. You never hear, oh, this youth actually has a say in her case. She knows what she wants in her life. And sometimes those youth that don't speak up get lost in the situation. And I think that there's a fear on the adult side, a fear of hearing and understanding the story. There's the fear that if we don't protect the youth, that somehow they're going to be more harmed. There's a lack of understanding that these youth have lived this story. They know it far better than we know it. And so we're protecting youth from their story. And there's a fear that if we allow them to be part of their process, that somehow they're going to be hurt more. It's really, in my mind, the opposite. That we don't allow them, we hurt them. Because Natalie always says, Kaylin too is nothing about us without us. And we do a lot about them without them. And then we really do have to change that mindset that even if they're not towel-aged, a 10-year-old has a right to be part of their world and they know their story. They lived it. They probably know things we'll never know. And we have to be open to say, if my young person I'm working with goes to court and hears hard things, then how do we manage that versus let's avoid it? And there's a sense of one protecting this youth from something. And we're really not. They were there. They know all about it. And we have to learn not to do that. I know in my case, I was coming from a home where I was the parent. So when I was placed into the system, they were like, we want you to be a kid. We don't want you to be the parent anymore. We want you to live like a teenager. But at that point, I've already done this for so long that I just can't stop it. And I think it's hard for them because you want to protect these youth and you want them to live as a child. But unfortunately, in some cases, their childhood experience is already, it's gone. What advice would you give then to current foster parents listening right now? What should you do to make a teen feel more comfortable and hearing their story? I always say, ask questions 100%. Don't assume. I think it's very important for you to go in with a listening ear and let them know that whatever they say or whatever they do, it's not going to come off wrong and they're not going to be judged. And this is a safe place for them. And perhaps don't take things personally. At first, sound that's good advice no matter what. We're in the wrong business of taking things personally, <laughs> and that's just how it is. If you want to really get to a level of vulnerability and safety and support, because young people are not used to somebody trying to break down those barriers and those walls. So we're going to fight it with everything in us. Most of the times I hear from young people that get adopted, I pushed. I tried to push them away as much as I could. And you know why I'm adopted today? They didn't let me push. They kept coming back. They stood there through every wall I kept trying to put up. And that's what makes the difference. And you can't do that if you're taking all of the pushing personal. Yeah, one thing we try to teach the families, and it's easier said than done, is remembering it's not about them. It's about the kid. And our focus needs to be on what that kid needs and not on how that's affecting us. We don't know you well enough for it to be against you, to be honest, right? Like, you're new to us. So we're dealing with a lot that has been there long before you. So even people out there that are thinking of becoming foster parents, come to these panels when we offer it and hear the voices of youth and get this information before you even start fostering, perhaps. Please. 
not perhaps, please. <laughs> and I'll tell you that we've done panels with using care and hearing from the kids on the panel has convinced them maybe teens aren't as scary as I thought. So your voices are benefiting another kid who that family ends up taking that they wouldn't have if they hadn't heard from you. The stats speak for themselves. 43% of all children in foster care in Utah are over the age of 11. So if you are thinking of adopting this month, think of an older child or teen. Your chances are good and you can do so much for them. Can I just add, that means no diapers, like all, you know, some of those stages that maybe aren't the most fun. And teens can be a blast. You have someone to rock out in the car with, someone to show you new dance moves, somebody to film a TikTok with, somebody to truly make a lasting connection with beyond what you expected possible. So don't expect that you're going to come in and take a teen in and just change their life because I promise you we will change yours just as much as you change ours and you may need us just as much as we need you. I can tell you we need you to help us Figure out our iPhones. And how to be hip again. We're working on that, Aubrey. We're working on that. So getting back to Caitlin, tell us a little more about what you've done with your life, where you are today. So I am attending SEU. I currently work. I am also the president of Utah State Youth Council. Aubrey was talking about that a little bit. So right now I'm just living life as much as I can. I'm working, going to school and still advocating for youth, still attending these meetings and trying to help wherever I can. And there's a lot of assistance for kids like you who do want to attend college. Tell me about some of those resources. That's actually one of the main reasons why I aged out of foster care. I chose to stay in care even though my case was able to get reunified with my mom. But I knew that I wasn't going to succeed there. There was too many unhealthy patterns that were never going to break until I broke out of that cycle. I stayed in care because I have financial assistance in school. My college is paid for, have financial assistance from the state if I need books for a certain class. If my car breaks down, I can have a little help there. And there's scholarships for foster youth that are really helpful as well. What about emotional support? And I'm having a bad day and I just want to talk to somebody. Where do you go? Who do you have? I think that is the hardest part, honestly, is once you age out, you're on your own. And I think that one part should be really talked about with foster youth when they're considering aging out and not getting adopted or doing those legal guardianships because we need a family. Everyone needs a family. We're human. We need that connection because, yeah, who do we go to when it's a holiday or when we need a shoulder to cry on? Sometimes I can still go to my older foster homes and my foster parents. But even then, I feel like a burden sometimes because they aren't required to take care of me anymore. But they still listen. That's what's important. Some of the greatest stories have been from foster parents who still have that connection to their youth. They haven't made it official. It's not legal, but it is genuine. We need to talk about permanency in terms of connection. And that. Who is this youth connected to? And how do they remain connected if that happened more often? Because you know what? There is love here. My 24 years in the adoption arena, 
because families call me back and say, can I adopt my foster child who's now 31? Yes, you can. Because that young person now says, you know what? I, I do love this family. I do want grandparents for my children. And I want these folks to be those folks. And so helping families understand that it doesn't have to occur immediately because sometimes we're not in that place, but it happens at some point and I want that connection and I could pursue it. So having that open mind to say, this could happen at any point, because sometimes I just feel at my age, sometimes I'm mature enough to make better decisions to say, no, that was done back then. I should do it better this time. And helping our foster families and our youth understand that you don't have to make that decision today, but know that it's always there for you. And have an open dialogue with families. Let's talk about what it means long-term to you and your connections to people. And what does that look like both emotionally, mentally, and legally for you? And they respect that because some youth will say, at this point, I want to leave care. I don't want what you're offering, but I do want to leave care and not get so adversarial with it. Because one of our issues with those youth that age out is that they're afraid to come back with this. And that's not a Utah problem. That's a national problem. When you think about how many youth age out nationwide, it's anywhere from 25 to 30,000 youth leave the foster care across the country with no connections. And those youth end up in some bad places. When you think about the statistics that hit our youth, that's the population that mostly is impacted. And so we have to be open to see if the youth tells us, this is my direction. This is what I want for me. Respect it. Don't ever stop interjecting, but respect him and say, what does that look like for you? How do we make this happen to you? And then who are the people who are going to support you through it? And I think we have to not be afraid as caseworkers. I haven't done foster care since 2000. And I have a mom whose kids are all adults now who still calls me. And then I pick up the phone and talk to her because it's important for those connections. And if youth is in that place to say, you know what? I trusted that worker. I had some of you knew her. She used to be one of my post-adoption folks out of Northern, but she has a young girl who's now a mother who calls her up. And especially during her pregnancy, she would call that worker up and say, what do I do? And after the first couple of years, the baby was born. She was the surrogate to go in and say, this is how you warm bottles. This is how you deal with a diaper rash. These are places you can go to get good deals on different things. And here's how you sign up for WIC. And sometimes we have to be okay as professionals to continue that relationship as well with our family. So it's, there's many people in the lives of the youth that can still be there for them. That doesn't ever have to be legal, so to speak, but it can be very emotionally and mentally supportive and such resilience that can be built by people who don't go away because their obligation is then, so to speak. When these youths who had so many people walk out of their lives, if we just stay and just say, my role is different in your life, but I'm still here. And then be open to that call and be open to it. Sometimes our young people, they need a lot of guidance. And if it's 10 phone calls in a day, be open to that. This mother I'm talking about, she used to call me maybe five, 10 times a week. So now it's once or twice a year to say, hi, how are you doing? How are my kids? How do we connect? All of those kinds of things. So it's just different things that you could do to stay in their lives. I love that line you said, Aubrey, people who don't go away. That's what we all need. And definitely our kids need that. Thank you. I want to get some perspective from Natalie. Did you continue to have adults in your life that wouldn't leave? Yeah. So it was the caseworkers and those people in my life, even though they don't work for DCFS anymore, we're still on Facebook. And it's some of the foster families that I was in as a teenager, even though it didn't work out as a forever placement, they are as close as I'm ever going to get to a forever family. So they know that. I know that. I know that I can reach out to specific individuals for different kinds of support. So I look at permanency like a permanency tree. 
I don't have one person that can fit all of those different pieces of support, but I have different people for each piece. I have a foster mom that I can call and say, my heart's broken. I went through a breakup. Can I just cry? I have a foster mom that takes me out on my birthday and got me the same birthday cake that she got me when I was 16 in her home. And the only birthday cake I got my whole time in foster care. So like I have those people in my life that keep those traditions and keep that love for me and keep that watch out over me, even though I don't have that family that I go spend Christmas with or go to the house to do laundry and raid the pantry, right? It's a little bit different than what your traditional young person's relationship would be with your child, but it is definitely my form of permanency, the closest I've gotten so far. I love that. I love that description. And you, you're you all shaking your heads. And again, to say out there to all those families listening to this, there are all different kinds of permanency. And most of these kids in foster care, even though they may come across as not wanting a family, they do. But they want you to see them for who they are and respect them and be with them. I want to thank everybody today, Caitlin and Natalie, who have lived experience, and they're here to help anyone out there who is in foster care over the age of 14 come to their group meetings and foster parents. Find out more about transition to adult living for those teens in your home. Then also people who are considering adoption, think of permanency in a different way. We will provide those resources in our notes We want to thank you all for your insight and for being so candid today. A reminder to the licensed foster parents out there, you can get in-service credit for listening today. I also want to thank Liz Rivera, my co-host, and our lovely producer, Marshall Shear Davis. Thank you all. This has been a great discussion for National Adoption Month. And remember, you don't need to know everything to be a foster parent. You just need to be willing to learn. This has been Fostering Conversations with Utah Foster Care. Thank you for joining us. For more information, go to utahfostercare.org. We'll see you next time.